Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The board game that is sweeping the nation. No assembly required, just add water, batteries not included. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe-smoking broadcast. I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from a steamy Concord, North Carolina. It's Tuesday night again, and in tonight's show... Had to uh, had to do some alterations to my uh, next phase of the uh, of the Oriental tobaccos tasting, and I'll talk about that in pipe parts. Give you some ideas on things you can do to some blends to tweak them a little bit. And I am super excited that my guest finally finally got him nailed down. He is pipe maker and uh, master blaster himself, J.T. Cook, will be my guest. I'm uh, going to kind of crunch pipe parts to try to get through a whole bunch of stuff with JT. Uh, later on, music, mailbag, and rant. All that coming up in tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And as we come to the uh, end of August, or I guess uh, a little bit over halfway through August, coming up begins my busy travel season. Yeah, every year it kicks off with the NASPC show in uh, Columbus, Ohio. I will be there. That's this weekend, Friday night, the 22nd, and all day Saturday, the 23rd, plus an all-day event going on on Friday at uh, Smoker's Haven in Columbus, Ohio. I'll be there for a couple of hours. Hey, make sure and stop by my table at the NASPC show. I should have some samples of tobaccos there and a whole bunch of stuff to look at. Uh, in the meantime, I want to mention uh, the 2014 Music City Pipe Show, September 20th, Nashville, Tennessee. Also coming up, can't miss it, the 30th annual edition of the CORE, the Conclave of Richmond Pipe Smokers Expo in Richmond, Virginia, October 10th, 11th, and 12th. Yes, I will be there. And then uh, ending the travel season for me is a trip to Las Vegas for the West Coast Pipe Show November 7th and 8th, I believe. Yeah, uh, November 8th and 9th, I'm sorry. Also mixed in with that, got uh, three overnight trips with the band coming up and a couple of Fridays and Saturdays with marching band stuff. And on top of that, I'm going to uh, Germany and Denmark for eight days. So that's all coming up for me in September. That's why I won't be in Nashville. But lots of stuff coming up. Please make sure if you get a chance to get out to a pipe show. If you're looking for a pipe club, go to pipesmagazine.com, click on the forums page, and then click on the pipe club section. And there you'll see listings for all kinds of pipe clubs in your area. Or if you want to form a pipe club, hey, Shout it out right there. See if you can get one going. All right, enough rambling on. Let's sit back, relax. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And here we go. This is Internet Radio. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. 
Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line, and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. Welcome back. I want to get through this as quick as possible because I'm excited to get JT on the phone and uh, get him talking to you and rather have you hear him than me anyway. But uh, last week I started in on the Orientals and started tasting and sniffing and smelling and started kind of working my way through those guys and coming up with my initial smoking interpretations. And then my good friend John Seiler posts on the forums or posts in response to the radio show uh, something to the effect, as soon as I can find it here, that, you know, maybe it would be good if we did the, if we did the taste testing in conjunction with different blends. Uh, let's see, your experiment, here's exactly what he says. Your experiment with the Oriental tobaccos is interesting. Perhaps you should try a small percentage of each Oriental with the same base Virginia tobacco. Each, each blend may stick out once you remove in your mind the contribution and consistent Virginia tobacco in each blend. Well, thanks, John. I started doing that, and now you've made a whole bunch more work for me, but you're right. And then, not only are you right, it got the taste developing, so I found one consistent Virginia blend, and now I'm going back and I'm mixing a little bit into like two bowls full and trying to find the right mixture level, because part of the problem is, is that each one of these condimental leaves or each one of the varieties doesn't smoke with the same intensity so i'm having to do a little bit of research to find out what's right but at the same time i'm smoking a lot of really good tobacco which means that i'm burning my tongue a lot um but anyway i am working on that and then it made me think all right i know of some tricks that i've done to some blends that will help liven them up um, for example, if you've got a Virginia that is burning way too hot for you, one of the things you can do, first of all, is let it dry down a little bit. Get it dried down as, as much as possible to the point where you can't stand it, you know, where, where you don't want it to get any crunchier, and try smoking it that way. Uh, one of the other tricks that I've tried with flakes that weren't exactly working for me and I wanted to try them a different way is... I bought a $5 coffee grinder from a uh, from a Salvation Army store or Goodwill, whichever one, and I'll put the tobacco in there and pulverize it for just a second or two, just to break it up real fine, and sometimes that'll help. Um, I'm a Perique lover. Well, guess what Perique does to almost every blend in my mind? If it's a Virginia, a mixture of Virginias, or something without any Perique in it, if I add a dash of some good blending Perique to it, 
And when I mean a dash, I mean like just two or three percent so that it's not the dominant flavor and barely even noticeable. Close it back up. Let it sit there for at least a couple of days so that the Perique gets a chance to absorb some of the Virginias and they get to marry a little bit. That little bit of Perique will take the edge off of it. Uh, those of you that are Latakia lovers, if, if you got a blend and it's not working for you, if it's a Virginia Perique and it's not working for you, maybe the Perique's bitey too much, or if it's a Virginia that's just not working for you, take a little dash of some good straight blending Latakia and just add a little bit of Latakia to it. It'll just cool it down for you a little bit or take a little bit of that edge off of it. Uh, aromatic smokers. If you've got an aromatic that is not burning correctly for you, or you just can't get it to taste right for you, you can do the same thing with just a little bit of a base black Cavendish. They're simple, un, unflavored, just base black Cavendishes that you can just add a little bit to. Uh, you want to try some fun stuff? Add a little bit of Perique to your aromatic and see what it does. Add a little bit of Latakia to your aromatic and see what it does. But if you add these little bits, and I'm talking about 2 to 3 or 4% of some of these little condimental things in there, you just dash them in there, let the tobacco sit for a couple of days at least, and then try it again. And that will tend to lighten it up a little bit or maybe take the edge off of some blends. Uh, the other thing that does work that I've seen people do is they use a filtered pipe, something that grabs some of the, uh, or cools it down or grabs some of the moisture out of it. Little tips and tricks, uh, little things I'm going through now with these Orientals that I'm goofing around with them, and yes, I am still smoking them straight so that I know what to identify when I'm in the Virginia-based mixture blend looking for it. All right, let's get to uh, JT. He'll be on the phone with me in just a minute. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. The year was 1849. Zachary Taylor was sworn in as the 12th president of the United States. The U.S. flag remained fixed at 30 stars. Edgar Allan Poe was found dead in Baltimore. Congressman Abraham Lincoln patented a buoying device, the only patent ever filed by a future president. William Bond was the first person to photograph the moon through a telescope. And gold was discovered in far-off California. And in that same year, also in California, Henry Sutliff founded his small tobacco company in San Francisco, founded on the principles of giving the public superior tobacco products for those with very discriminating tastes. Now, 165 years later, that tradition continues. Sutliff Tobacco Company has been setting the standard for pipe tobacco ever since. Take a quiz on our website to have the perfect blend suggestion for your tastes. Or just browse around to explore all of the wide variety of fine products America's oldest pipe tobacco company has to offer. Lots of things have changed since 1849, but Sutliff Tobacco Company's commitment to making the finest pipe tobacco on earth has not. Visit sutliff-tobacco.com for information on where you can find all of your favorite blends, from the sweetest aromatics to the richest English mixtures.
I am happy to finally welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show uh, the one and only, the master blaster, the demented uncle of American pipe makers, J.T. Cook of Vermont. J.T., welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Brian. And I, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be in your presence, even though I'm not. <laughs> You're in my head. You're in my head. Oh, uh, that's a bad place. Oh, wait. <laughs> and, and a part of you is in my hand. But we'll talk oh, about that that's later. Even, that's even worse. <laughs> I'm looking for the exit sign right now. Uh, so for those of you who haven't guessed already, I've known JT now for 14 and a half years or so. When we first met, I believe it was at a Richmond or Nashville pipe show, and you were sitting next to me, and next thing you know, we were talking about music that you grew up with it was uh, pretty close to what my dad grew up with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And your dad can probably hear about it as well as I do. Yeah, or not remember much of it anyway. Um, yeah. Any, anyway, tell everybody, where did you grow up? I grew up in Burlington, Vermont. Was it part of New York back then, or was it already its own state? No, this, this was when New York and New Hampshire were squabbling over which of them didn't want us. <laughs> and we decided that we didn't want either one of them, so we formed an independent republic. And, and we stayed an independent republic for 14 years or something, and then finally the Union said we need one more star, and they were looking around, you know, where the hell are we going to get another star? And they mistook a star for a snowflake, and here we are. Right on the shores of lovely Lake Champlain. Absolutely, yep. Uh, so, growing up, what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be an adult. <laughs> <laughs> and we know that hasn't worked out yet. No, but... <laughs> that, that never really panned out. So, yeah, I just ended up being an old child. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you went off to college. Yeah. You went to the world-famous uh, Rhode Island Institute of Design? Rhode Island School of Design, yeah. Yeah, spent four lovely years there in the late 60s, early 70s. It uh, was a wonderful time. Thoroughly enjoyed it. If I could, I'd go back and do it all over again. What was your major? I started out as a major in architecture, um, <laughs> but like about a third of that class, uh, partway through the fall semester, uh, we switched majors to something else. I went into illustration and got my uh, BFA in illustration. Do you think so, the, yeah. the, Do you think the little bit of architecture has helped you in pipe design? Yeah, well, nothing stands on its own. Some of the projects that we were involved in in, the, in architecture certainly uh, was a wake-up call to a lot of different looking at problems uh, from kind of outside the box, and in the case of RISD architecture, from outside the planet. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and I eventually did use what I'd learned and designed and built my own house uh, in Fletcher, Vermont, back in 77 or 78. Yeah. 
It was helpful. All of it's helpful. All right. In the late 60s, being in New England, did you go to the actual Woodstock performances? No. Um, we were set to go, um, and then we got the word that the highways essentially were <laughs> completely clogged <laughs> and didn't feel like hiking, so we didn't go. One of my roommates did go, ended up waking up to Jimi Hendrix playing the Star Spangled Banner, and Joe was laying knee-deep in the mud. <laughs> so, all right, so you uh, you graduate from college. Mm-hmm. What did you do for a living? I worked in television for a couple of years here up here at a local uh, TV station. Uh, was the one-man art department, whatever that entailed. So yeah, I did that for for a couple of years. So were and, you were you like drawing uh, drawing the cards and that would be held up and. Oh, yeah, all that stuff and the news backgrounds and, and a lot of advertising stuff and a lot of stuff with just insane deadlines, like we need it in 14 minutes, <laughs> you know, and then have promptly have somebody looking over your shoulder while you're trying to, you know, get this thing out. So, yeah. So it wasn't, the, it. It, hmm? it wasn't the, most, uh, the most wonderful artistic outlet. The, the nice thing was I had a really big drafting table, okay? And so, and the way it was positioned, people couldn't always see what was on the drafting table. And about the last year or so I was there, I was whittling pipes behind the, <laughs> behind the drafting table. So, yeah, they thought I was sharpening pencils. That's what all the, all the wood shavings were doing on the floor. So they thought I was furiously working when... I was furiously working on something else. <laughs> and getting paid for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. what came first, the pipe smoking or the music? Oh, the music. Yeah. Um, that started literally the week after the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan. Um, my best friend at, at the time... Had, was a guitar player. I think he was like, we were maybe 14, 13, 14, something like that. And we'd always fooled around with it. I played flute at the time. Um, so we were more into stumbling through uh, jazz-oriented stuff and not really having any idea what we were doing. But as, as soon as the Beatles hit, uh, it was, I don't even think there was a question as to whether we were going to do that. Um, a couple months later, I built my first bass guitar, which lasted about two practices before it twisted up like a pretzel, but it was a, enough so that my, my parents, uh, took mercy on me and bought me a, a secondhand bass guitar. So yeah, been playing ever since. And then when did the pipe smoking start? That started when I was in in earnest um, when I was working at the at the TV station. I was smoking cigarettes at the time and wanted 
wanted to quit and thought getting into the pipes would be uh, a good way to do that. And my wife at the time uh, thought, well, him being him, I'll get him one of these carve-it-yourself kits. <laughs> and uh, as soon as I started working on that stuff, uh, I never really looked back. It, ha it had me hooked. Still have that pipe, still smoke it. And it's still in one piece? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's still in one piece. It's about four feet away from me now. Right now, it has a pipe tool sitting in it, in its tobacco chamber. So, yeah, still smoke it. So what, what came next in the progression into pipe making? Uh, well, while I was working at, in, in television, you know, I was desperately looking around trying to find Briar. And you, you got to understand, this was decades before the internet, there was no such thing as any of that. So I don't know how I stumbled upon it, probably looking through the yellow pages and tracking stuff down. I found out about the Briar Workshop in Stowe and went over there a couple of times and pestered them and bought a fair amount of wood from them. Uh, and was going back home and making my own stuff. And then when I'd go back over, I'd show them what I'd been working on. And eventually they had uh, one or two people leave and a spot opened up and I jumped at it. The Briar Workshop is Elliot Knockwalter's place? Yeah, it was, uh, it was partners. Elliot Knockwalter and his partner, Jorg Yamelka. Um, and Jorg was more the technical director, in other words, you know, operating the machinery, figuring out how things, you know, go together, how things would work. I'd say Elliot was probably had more the artistic eye as far as developing shape uh, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I went there, and at the time... Brad Pullman was working there. I took over Brad's position. He was doing the lathe turning, and I took that over, and I can't remember. You'd have to check with Brad, but I think he went over either into the finishing department um, or the sanding department. So it's quite possible that somebody would pick up on the estate market an old Briar Workshop or an old uh, uh, Elliot Knockwalter pipe, and it could have been made by one, could have had parts of it made by one of you guys. Yeah, parts of it, yeah. Um, I mean, the job switched around a lot. I don't know if anybody at, at that point ever made a, part, a pipe, you know, from start to finish, although I'm, I'm sure some special orders were probably done that way. But yeah, it was a team effort, um, and it was my real first foray into handmade pipes and the processes of you know what it took to to make one. Um, it was a great learning experience, and it, at some point I had to chuck almost everything I I'd learned um, and re-educate myself.
the the reason you re-educated yourself was it because of the because once you went in house with doing your own pipes from start to finish was it a whole different style at that point? Yeah, it wasn't so much style as maybe more attitude um, because that was a production facility. In other words, you know, we had to turn out X number of of pieces per week. I, I don't think it was a lot, maybe even like 40 pipes a week or, or something. But even when I went solo, when they moved to Florida, I, I stayed in Vermont and went into it myself. It required a redirecting of my mindset in, and get rid of the idea of quantity and put quality first. Uh, so instead of thinking I have to make, you know, five pipes a week or whatever, it uh, ended up being, no, you, whatever it takes to get one pipe out of the shop and have it absolutely the best that I could, could do at any given time, that's what I had to relearn. So I had to learn to really slow things down and look at every single facet of of what I was doing. And what year was it that they moved down to Florida? Uh, boy, you know... <laughs> <laughs> Is there a little gray matter in the way there? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I can, I can blame that all on some of the solvents that we had to use on the stains that they eat gray cells. But really, uh, it's probably not the truth. <laughs> My guess would be, I don't know, you'd have to check with Elliot, but probably like 79 or 80, some, someplace in that area. And then you went out on your own making your own pipes, and we're going to take a break right here. We'll find out how he did making his own pipes. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. <laughs> I wish I had a genie who could make it easy to order pipes and tobaccos online. You don't need a genie, sir. Visit fournoggins.com. They stock all your favorite pipes and tobaccos, and every order gets fast personal attention. Orders are packed carefully and shipped quickly by priority mail. Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com. I can still see you, you know. A bit rusty, sir. Fournoggins.com. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellAndDeal.com. This is Internet Radio. 
We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with JT. Um, I know what the J stands for. What does the T stand for? Tanner. T-A-N-N-E-R. So it's not like Captain Kirk. Uh, no. 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 Okay. No, I'm not James T. Kirk. <laughs> you, you have been accused of being from outer space before. Uh, that, yeah, yeah. I have a second home. <laughs> All right. So now you're now you're making pipes on your own. Is that the first time you've stamped your own pipes? Yeah. Uh, there were a couple of things going on at that point. Obviously, nobody uh, knew who I was back then. So I did a fair amount of subcontracting for other pipe makers and pipe firms. Uh, and I can't really mention any names, but periodically I see stuff and go, oh, <laughs> hi, old friend, I remember you. Oh, you've got somebody else's name on you. That's okay. I got paid a fair fair wage for it. But also, in, in fairness to that, to that time and place, that was also still more along the lines of the brand of pipe was more important than actually who made the physical pipe. As, yeah. as opposed to now in the past 10, 15 years where we as pipe collectors are really into the actual person that makes the pipe. Yeah, yeah. It was a, a, an entirely different kettle of worms back then. First of all, I, I don't think American pipe makers uh, were given any credence at all. We were just like, yeah, nobody paid attention to what was going on in the States, even though there were some very interesting stuff coming out. Um, so, yeah, back then, even today, but back then, yeah, there was a lot of uh, stuff going on behind the scenes. Yeah, there was a lot of the New York pipe shops that had pipes made for them, and they put the shop name on there, the owner's yeah. name on there, and there was, uh, yeah, in all honesty, I don't think Alfred Dunhill ever turned a pipe himself. Probably not. He Probably <laughs> not, although uh, I couldn't say. You weren't there. Uh, no, I weren't there. <laughs> Whoever did the designing the original pieces for him, though, I will say was whoever it was, was absolutely brilliant. You know that's a perfect segue, and uh, because I know of your love of the of the old Dunhills, old Barlings, when did you really discover those older pipes and, and start start looking that at them? Was, yeah, that was a real eye opener and a real education. That's when I got hooked up with the late uh, Barry Levin, and I'm guessing again, you know, gray matter goes away. Um, sometime during the mid to late 80s, uh, we got hooked up, and he at the time was just beginning to put out a photo mailer of uh, estate pipes, and he needed somebody to actually do the, the restoration work, you know, either cleaning them up or full-on restoration work. So I did a, a lot of that, uh, and that's when I got exposed to, you know, the well-known brands and the lesser-known brands, and it just was—it was a wonderful experience. Um, after after Barry died, um, 
I counted up the notebooks of stuff that had come through here, and there were someplace between 20 and 22,000 pipes uh, came through my little shop. That's a lot of buffing and reaming and oh. polishing. <laughs> That's the understatement of the week, I can tell you. Yeah, I still think some of that grime is buried right down to right down to my bones. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was wonderful. It really was because I did get to see what was successful and what was not successful. Um, when you and, when you got a pipe in there that you were cleaning and, and doing the restoration of, and you really wanted to understand it, you obviously pulled it apart, studied it, spent time looking at it. Did you actually get a chance to smoke them? No, um, that really it would. I knew at that point it wouldn't have been a, uh, fair to the pipe. Let's put it that way, because it it took a lot to get some of those suckers cleaned out <laughs> and to get them up to snuff the, the the object was to get them as clean and as close to new as possible which was impossible but that was the goal and then you know somebody else is going to get this piece and they're going to have to go through the process of breaking it up breaking it in yeah and I knew from my own experience that, you know, the first couple of smokes, uh, either a new or uh, an estate piece, uh, is not indicative of what the pipe is really like. Um, so it was more the, the point of measuring. Uh, I copied a lot of designs. I've got notebooks full of the stuff where, you know, take out the dial calipers and copy down the measurements, do a tracing of them, uh, ended up being wonderful notebooks. I still go back and, and pull out some of the old designs. <laughs> so, yeah, and it ended up really being the Dunhill shells and, and the Barlings, uh, smooth and fossil. But those were the two that that really hit me. And there were all always, you know, interesting things coming out of the Larson factory, Kamoys. I mean, there was a lot of very interesting, fun stuff back then. Can you give us that are, most of us really don't understand the, the real details of the inner workings of a pipe, but can you give us just a couple examples of things that you picked up from Dunhill and from Barling? Well, I think from... From Dunhill, it was both of the both those brands had extremely refined shapes. They each had their strengths, and they each had their weaknesses. But it was the precision uh, with which things were 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 executed, not only what you could see on the outside, but the fitting on the inside, the way things were treated, what would pass for uh, a Dunhill, or maybe it wasn't going to be a Dunhill and it'd have another name on the side. 
uh, even though it came from the same factory, and compare A and B and see what made it a Dunhill or not. Um, Dunhill, they're, all their billiard-based shapes are just superb. They can't cut an apple to save their life. <laughs> At least they didn't used to. Borrowing strings uh, were fundamentally, at least from my eye, uh, what they could do with an apple. <laughs> Conversely, I wouldn't say the development of their billiard was nearly as precise as, as Dunhill's. And you were also the first person that ever talked to me about the length of the tenon matching up to the depth of the mortise hole. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a big deal. What goes on inside, yeah, you've got to have the tenon and the mortise match. Otherwise, with a little gap in there, there's a, a place where moisture is going to collect, uh, ooze is going to collect, it also can, if not working with the rest of the pipe, it's going to disturb the airflow. So, And that was one thing I will say, like at the Briar Workshop, that was something that really wasn't talked about. It wasn't that big a deal. But when you get, that's like because you're making 40 pipes a week or whatever. Uh, but when you're making one or two pipes a week, that becomes a big deal, and that's something you can spend time on making it absolutely precise. Um, and it is in, it's important for guys that, that are going to be putting down their hard-earned money to buy a pipe to be aware that there are things that go on inside the pipe that are important. It's not just the, the looks, but it's the engineering that goes on inside. Did you also, uh, your your fascination with the sandblast, did that begin with looking at those old Dunhill shells? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that really, when the, the first group of probably, I don't know, eight or ten shells came through uh, from from Barry. He'd gotten them in one collection. I, I'd seen them before, but never really had a chance to do anything more than have a passing glance at them, because I was still enthralled with smooth, straight grains. When I actually got to sit down and look at them under the, under the shop light, they just I'm sure my jaw probably dropped six inches, and it really hasn't hasn't come up off the floor since. Yeah, they were they absolutely fascinating. Um, I still love them. Uh, I still think they're the best of the best. And I I've talked about it in the past where Dunhill shell briars were actually it was it was briar that was harvested particularly to be a sandblasted pipe. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And then you and your own pipes do the same thing. You're looking for wood specifically to sandblast it. Oh, absolutely. And it is, it is different than wood for smooth pipes. There are different things that, that I'm looking for. And for the most part, 
thankfully, it's not the same thing that people are looking for when their aim is to make a smooth pipe. So chances are pretty good if, if whatever I'm examining for blocks, if it's been cherry-picked, so you know, so-called cherry-picked for smooth straight grains, that's fine with me. <laughs> You know, they've just done done some of my work for me because I don't have to bother with looking at those. And you don't mind a little cragginess here and there. Ah, the craggy. Ah. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Yeah. Or as I describe it, is that's a line where my finger gets to go for a ride around the pipe. You betcha. And your eyeballs, too. <laughs> and they change shapes over time. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> now I completely forgot where I was going next with that. But all right, so <laughs> are you lost, little boy? <laughs> so you're working for you're working for Barry Levin, the, and you're also making your own pipes at the same time. Oh yeah, yeah. It was was uh, one of the things, one of the fringe benefits of being self-employed, and which you know all about. It ended up being seven days a week, you know, and continually juggling stuff. And also work, working with Barry at that time, there was an increasing demand for reproduction stems. Um, so I got into a lot more individualized um, restoration work. And it, it does, even though I don't, do any of it now it still does it it sticks with me uh, things that I've seen observations um, so like I, I know if, if people go to my my website uh, cookpipes.com and look at the stuff they're gonna see stuff that is probably considered classic and it is my work is based on on the classic stuff, uh, mostly English, but but some Italian stuff. But yeah, I've got just a ton of other questions. Can I get you to come back in a couple of weeks and we can dig into even more stuff? Because oh, certainly, I got... uh, I'm I'm glad to dig holes in the ground which I can bury myself in. I think I got through three questions that I had written down out of twelve. I'm good to. I'm glad to have uh, led you off the, the straight and narrow into di- divergent paths. It wasn't too hard. I was born in San Francisco. Oh well. Okay. Yeah, you're good to go. You got no problem. <laughs> I, I was two area codes away from the straight and narrow and never got close. Yeah. Good. Well, it must have been the smell uh, coming down from Haight Ashbury. I, I can't. I don't remember. Uh, yeah. Neither does anybody that, else. Yeah, yeah. That answers the question. Well, I had to come back. Well, let's wrap this up with the traditional fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? I'm ratified. What's your favorite pipe? It is a little barling shell that's actually sitting right in front of me. And what's your favorite tobacco? gone away. A&C Peterson, Virginia Flake, and the Little Yellow Tin with a 
And that was another one of my questions that's still coming up because I know of your love of it. So if anybody out there has any ANC Peterson Caledonian yellow and wants yeah. to wants to help out an old Vermont uh, wood nibbler, uh, they can contact you through your website, which is cookpipes, C-O-O-K-E, pipes.com. And yep. when it's time to relax, is it a book, a movie, or music? And I know this answer, but what's your favorite drink? <laughs> there is only one drink. Uh, it's, it's coffee. And as Frank Zappa said, when somebody criticized him uh, for smoking on stage, he held up his cigarette and he held up his coffee and said, they're food. Caffeine and nicotine are two of the three basic Absolutely. food groups. Absolutely, yeah, they are the basis of the food pyramid. And last but not least, do you have a favorite pipe smoking memory in particular that you want to share or that you can remember? I think the fact that I can't remember is probably my favorite memory. <laughs> So again, the website is cook, C-O-O-K-E, pipes.com. That is the best way to get a hold of you as far as uh, finding out when you have pipes available and possibly trying to commission a pipe, which is one of my questions yep. that we'll talk about when you come back next time. Because okay. you and I have got a, I, well, one of my favorite stories is commissioning a pipe with you and trying <laughs> trying to... <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah. I've still got the drawings, Brian. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're breaking up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll discuss that next time. <laughs> yeah. JT, thanks for your time. We'll have you on in a, again in a couple of weeks. Okay, Brian. Thanks for the opportunity. <laughs> we'll be back in just a minute. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Signore, signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Molto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on SutliffMoltoDolce.com. Do you mind if I try? Oh, signore, this truly is Molto Dolce. So charming that you even speak my language as it is truly very sweet. <laughs> just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth. Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. It is like they are all having a giant playful pillow fight on smooth and silky sheets of tobacco in my mouth. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. I can see it. And signore, best of all, no tongue bite. Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. Mm -hmm. Hey! 
Satellite Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Balto Dolce blend in public. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. And again, JT's website is cookpipes, C-O-O-K-E-P-I-P-E-S dot com. There's a huge gallery of pipes up there to go look at, and you can also get on his mailing list there. Uh, you know, I've, I've known JT for a while. Never knew that he started out playing the flute, which works out uh, perfectly for the music that we've got coming up because I've selected another Sir James Galway piece. However, it's uh, James Galway and uh, Henry Mancini. So here's the uh, Pink Panther. Thank you. 
I love that combination of a, a great pipe smoking composer and a great pipe smoking uh, instrumentalist in uh, Sir James Galway. You've got some mail. In the mailbag, going back to last week's show, Winton says, uh, before the show was up, he says, I enjoyed his music at the Chicago Pipe Show. Should be a fun program. Uh, Going down further, Ed Green writes, uh, enjoyed the show yet again. You've been on a roll for me lately. I always learn from something from the shows, but lately I've been able to share with my family. My wife made her living for a few years from jewelry making, and I was able to share Michael's interview, which she enjoyed immensely. My son really enjoyed Jim Inc.'s interview, as this has been a passion for him for over 20 years. Then last night, Anthony's music is a song I played 40 years ago when I was young like him. Now eBay prices on W.O. Larson's are as much as doubling just a week after the show. Think I'm going to collect some cheapos on the bay and wait for you to mention them on the show and then put them up for sale. Keep up the great work and thank you again. Uh, thanks, Ed. I wish I was smarter because maybe what I'd do is buy a whole bunch of pipes off of eBay or wherever, stock up on some pipe, some brand I haven't talked about yet, and then talk about it. <laughs> and then put them back on eBay. Uh, but I'm not that smart. Or nor am I that uh, energetic either. Um, John Seiler writes, Hi, Brian. 100 shows. Wow. Did you think when you started that you would make 100? No. Um, your next goal is to make it to 200 shows. You got it. And then he goes on to talk about the Orientals. Um, John says, I've never met Anthony Houston. A person starting a pipe with English tobacco is quite rare. I thought he was at I thought he was at last year's Chicago show, so I guess I did meet him in the tent. I did enjoy his group and took the time to talk to them during their break. I enjoyed the musical piece, Icarus. Very nice. Are he thin walls? I believe the more wood, the better. Period. Right, John. Me too. Rant. Oh, well, welcome to the brave new world. Uh, tonight's smoke. Uh, 1993 tin McClellan 5100 in a Costello collection 4K shape 65 full bent. Good show, Brian. Keep up the work. Uh, Dino wrote, terrific show, Brian. Congrats on your 100th. Really enjoyed the conversation with Anthony and his lovely vibes work on Ralph Towner's Icarus. I saw Towner do this live with Oregon back in the late 70s. I like John's idea for your Oriental experiment. Uh, note to Anthony, if you enjoy the Chicago show, why not join the folk who put it on? Come uh, join the club and share some fellowship in a bowl or two at our monthly meetings. Check out the link, and there's a link there. And Riff Raff says, so you've reached 100 episode milestone. Well done. Many more to come. I'm anxious to hear your insights on the different Orientals. It's good to know where each nuanced flavor is coming from. This is one of your better pipe parts series, and hopefully with John's advice and some more tasting and testing, we'll make it even better. Uh, Riff Raff goes on to write, I enjoyed Anthony's interview. It sounds as if he hit the ground running with his start in pipes. Icarus was very relaxing and enjoyable. I'm totally on board with the idea of a cruise, pun intended. <laughs> we'll float that out there. Uh, we just need to make sure that the smoking area is indoors. Smoking a pipe at sea in the wind is not a fun endeavor. I have the pinhole shirts to prove it. 
Great show, gents. On to the next 100. Yes, in re- in uh, reference to the cruise, I've heard back from two of you that you'd be up for it. We would definitely have to do it, most likely August, maybe uh, June, early on in June. And we would absolutely, absolutely make sure that whatever ship we were on, we would secure an indoor pipe-friendly smoking area for us. Talk to a few other folks, and we may have some uh, pipes donated as giveaways during the cruise. We might, we'll definitely be able to get some tobaccos donated during uh, during the cruise, so get a chance to do that. Uh, more than likely, be able to get the uh, get the cruise line itself to donate a uh, liquor tasting, or maybe a spirits tasting of some sort, or a wine tasting. So. The idea would be that we would have at least a two-hour time each day for us to get together. And, of course, spouses would be welcome, and spouses could use the rest of the ship for whatever they do on the ship. Uh, All I know is they tend to spend money. Um, S.S. Jones writes, that's Al, Congratulations on the milestone since I listened to every episode in the car that is at least 100 hours we've spent together driving around the Mid-Atlantic area. I don't know how you and Kevin juggle this and all your other responsibilities, but I sure appreciate the effort. Thank you very much. Dan Casey Ghost says, Another good episode. The discussion of Orientals is very good stuff. Personally, I wouldn't go to the trouble to smoke the tobacco that was going to hurt me, just so I could tell people don't smoke this stuff straight. (laughs) Well, there you go. Uh, Pleasant enough interview. Music was okay. Why would you go to Starbucks at all? I wouldn't give them the time of day, let alone buy an occasional coffee there. If you are going to boycott a business, man up and boycott them. Uh, Dan, occasionally Starbucks is the only place to get a decent cup of coffee around there. Notice I did not say good. Um, E-S-C-I-O-E. I I don't know how to pronounce all those vowels. Um, Anthony says, Anthony is a gem. And... uh, Tex Mace Ed or Tex Mac Ed says, "Great show, Brian. I'm slowly catching up on back episodes. Love the interview and music from Anthony. I'm also interested and intrigued by the idea of a pipe cruise. Not that I am officially, uh, now, maybe he says now that I'm officially medically retired. I hope you make it well past 300 shows. Yeah, we're aiming for 300, maybe 400. All right, stay tuned till after the rant." at the end of the show for uh, an announcement on our uh, two-year anniversary show, which uh, reminds me, Rant Time's coming up next. Cup of Joe's, a name you know, a name that you trust for all your tobacco needs. Exclusive pipes, pipe tobacco, accessories, pipe stands, and so much more. Cup of Joe's is the one place you can go and take care of every single one of your tobacco purchases. Fast shipping, friendly, professional service. One site, cupofjoes.com. And coming soon, their new line of smoking man pipes, cupofjoes.com. Quality products and extraordinary prices. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achille Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. 
Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs, comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. This is Internet Radio. Cowboy. Cowboy. Under the category of shit that really pisses me off, please add the Cabarrus County School District to it. Yes, Cabarrus County is the county that I live in. It's the school system where my daughter goes to and where my son is going to start doing his student teaching. And it's band season again, so I had to sign the volunteer agreement, uh, the code of ethics, blah, 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 signature thing again. Every year you have to do this, you have to have a background check. If you're going to volunteer in any official capacity with the school, you have to sign this stupid thing and go through the background check. No problem about it. This year's background check, however, has been altered from last year's. And this year's includes stuff like you're not allowed to photograph the students while doing any activity, and you're not allowed to post on social media about the students. Great. Okay, so I can't tweet about what I'm doing or hash brown it or hashtag it or whatever that is. Anyway, the one that got me is during any function where you are acting as a volunteer, whether you're on school property or not, you may not be under the influence of alcohol, drugs, narcotics, or tobacco. Yeah, under the influence of tobacco. Now, these are educators that all have at least master's degrees. Some of them have PhDs that are running our school district. And I'd like to know what the hell is under the influence of tobacco. What they really should have said if they were educated in this properly is under the influence of nicotine. Tobacco has... No influence on me, except I like it, and it makes me happy. It's nicotine that they don't want being touted around with the kids. So, based off of that volunteer agreement, I can't use any tobacco product while I'm on a school function, but I can use an e-cigarette, because that's not tobacco, that's just nicotine liquid and flavor. So, there you go, school. (laughs) Figure it out, learn what you're doing, And I'll be under the influence of tobacco anyway, and they can, eh, bite me. All right, a couple of things coming up in uh, the next few weeks. The end of the second season of the Pipes Magazine radio show, and at show number 105, which should be in four weeks from today, if I'm doing my math correctly, we'll kick off the third season, and we're working on something fun for that, because that night, I will be in Denmark. (laughs) so it'll be fun uh we're looking forward to it kevin's excited about it and uh so am i so that'll be fun watch for that i uh, did talk to jt during the commercial he's scheduled it looks like it'll be two weeks from now and we'll get him back and uh get more uh cookisms out of him and next week 
who do I have scheduled? I can't remember right now. But anyway, I want to thank you all for tuning in. Please make sure and leave ratings and reviews for us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podkicker, ratings and reviews for us on the forums, comments on the forums, love them all. Uh, if you want to read some really cool articles, there's a couple of new ones, including uh, the Pipe Smoke articles that have been up, and our friend uh, uh, Pylorns, James, has written an article on the homepage of PipesMagazine.com, so there's a lot to do there. Hope to see as many of you as possible this weekend at the NASPC show in Columbus, Ohio. It'll be a big fun time for all, so... Once again, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time. Cares about the clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy All right, I'm out of here. Uh, I hear that asteroids machine calling my name from the game room, so peace.